Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Once more onto the breach. Something like that. <laughs> I'm Paul. This is Mornings Without Carmen. Carmen's been out this week. She'll be back in on Monday after her time away with uh, family, with her grandkids and such, down in Orlando, Florida. Hope she's had a good time. I've had a good time, although tiring. It's been, it's, it's been a busy week here at Faith Radio with this and so many other readings. But I'm glad to be with you. So it's not what you know. It's who you know. Right? Life can be like that. Back in school, when sides were being picked for, you know, in, in Fayette for various games, and the captains got to, you know, these two students were selected to be the captains of the team. And who did they choose first? The jocks. They chose their friends. Uh, I was a kind of a nerdy little kid, not very athletic. Guess where I was in the uh, pecking order there? Yeah. <clears throat> or maybe you applied for a job that you were imminently qualified for. But the job went to a friend of the guy doing the hiring. It happens. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Who who favors you, right? Well, as we continue in the Advent season with our Growing Your Faith verses, we've been looking at some of the promises of Jesus coming. Just a reminder of some of those promises we've looked at just this week. First off, we talked about Isaiah 7:14. A virgin would give birth to a son who would be Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verse 6, and I tagged on 7 because of, well, I'll explain here in a moment. There's that promise of the one born unto us who would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the one who would sit on David's throne, as verse 7 goes on to say. And then I mentioned briefly that if you back up a few verses in Isaiah 9, there's another promise about a light shining in the darkness in the region of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. That was Boonesville. That was a, that was a boonie. Uh, just not an important place in a lot of people on their map. Really, it wasn't. And one of the things we also talked about yesterday was Micah 5.2, the birthplace of Jesus would be Bethlehem, which was what? A sleepy little village about five and a half miles from Jerusalem. Not a place of importance in Judea 2,000 years ago. To be honest, it was Hicksville. Still... God, who has a special care, a special mercy toward a a favoring of the weak, the vulnerable, the outcast, and then even empowers them to do great things, that heart is factored into these promises of the coming Messiah. But those promises were made over 2,500 years ago. Let's fast forward to about 2,000 years ago. When finally those promises start coming together and coalescing, our uh, Growing Your Faith first today, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. I'm actually going to continue on a few extra verses for context, but it starts out, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
the virgin, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went up to her or went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed as the verses continue, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Did you see it all? <laughs> Let's go down this checklist here. An angel goes, where? Nazareth in Galilee. And as I mentioned, Bethlehem being Hicksville, well, Nazareth in Galilee, which was already the boonies, was even another Hicksville. It was North Hicksville. It was North Hicksville, Galilee. Yeah, that's what it would have been. Gabriel visits who? The Virgin Mary, this lowly, unmarried maiden in this backwater place. And what does he say to her? Greetings, you highly favored one. You have found favor with God. Again, God's heart for the lowly, the humble, (laughs) on full display here. And he also said, the Lord is with you. Hold that thought for a moment. Then he goes on, you will conceive and give birth to a son. For unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. Isaiah promised um, the virgin would give birth. And who would he be? He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Son, you mean God taking on flesh? Emmanuel? That kind of goes with that greeting that 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 Gabriel gave too. The Lord is with you. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is really big. And the Lord will give him his ancestor David's throne. He will be that Davidic king mentioned in Isaiah nine seven. And again, God is bringing about. This through a young unmarried woman in an often scorned place in ancient Judaism. God did not choose the best and the brightest here. He did not go to Jerusalem like we talked about yesterday, the seat of power, even the center of of Jewish worship at that time. He went to the outcast. He often chooses to go where? Into the darkness. He chooses to enter and be with those who are down and out. Those in last place become the first to hear and receive the Messiah. Now, the Bethlehem part of the story is still to come. But again, when God fulfills his promises, all the seeming random elements seem to come together in a way that not only shows his power, but also his heart for those who need to hear the truth, especially the broken, the weak, the outcast. God is with us. Well, again, this is Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul, and uh, yeah, Carmen back on Monday. Have you been busy doing a lot of, you know, Christmas and the hustle and bustle? You're 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 going from store to store and are you doing things like all as well as, you know, t- getting ready for your Christmas celebration? Doing things extra acts of service for others or giving? Maybe you walk into your local grocery store, there's a bell ringer there. These days it seems more like there's the kettle thing or the the little hanger, but they have a little barcode or QR code that you can scan to do your gift on your app because they don't have enough bell ringers, unfortunately. Oh, anyway, at least that's what's been happening in in, uh, in our neighborhood, which is kind of sad. But you see the bell ringers, and you if the the kettle is there, you put a few co- you give your kids a few coins to throw in, and then hopefully you're slipping something a little more substantial. 
Or maybe you're making extra gifts toward homeless shelters, food banks, or to nursing homes. These are good things, and I'm not dismissing this and dissing this in any way. But i got to ask you a question. What's your attitude and what's your focus while doing these? Are you just kind of, well, I know it's expected. I, I did something. Or, well, it's a nice thing to do and I should do it. But do you see what you're doing? And are you actually planning on doing as a larger part of God's plan, God's mission through Jesus to bring the gospel to others? Are you doing this not only as an individual or even as families, but as part of your church? Living on mission at Christmas. I want to talk about that with Pastor Ryan Ellington from Mount Zion uh, Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. He joins me next. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. So as we're getting into the Christmas season, do you do anything special? Does your church do anything special to do outreach to the community? I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. And over the last couple of years, as I've been filling in for Carmen, one person I really like talking to because I just kind of like his vision is Ryan Ellington. Ryan is the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And as we look at outreach in the Christmas season, outside of it, both as individuals, as families, as uh, as churches, are we really working toward expanding the kingdom of God or just doing something? And Ryan, thank you again for continuing this conversation with us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Okay, Ryan, now I want to back up because I first heard about you and, and how you were trying to take your church uh, again, Mountain Zion Baptist Church in North Carolina, Lewisburg, out of what you were calling a family chapel, menu-driven church, to being, I guess, a lot. one of the big buzzwords out there is missional. And define all that for us, uh, how you are trying to do that transition, what those two different concepts are. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, so a family chapel is what you could call a church that was founded usually uh, 100, maybe 200 years ago by a couple of extended families who just happened to kind of live in the same area. And, and a lot of the churches actually arguably, I think if you looked at the numbers, most of the churches in the United States were founded as family chapels by a few extended families to do things like baptisms or baby dedications or wedding ceremonies or funerals. And then uh, week in and week out, they would have a kind of religious service, but it's it's almost more like uh, a chaplaincy service that they financially support than any kind of active, uh, outward-driven spiritual organism. Uh, a family chapel is essentially designed to be uh, a family reunion that happens in a church each week rather than uh, a great commission-oriented um community, I guess, if that makes sense. And on the other side of that, uh, I guess on the other end of the spectrum is a missional church or a, a mission-driven church, which a, a mission-driven church, it may be mostly members of the same family. It may be things like that. But uh, what makes a church mission-driven is that it's, its core driving force is the mission Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, starting with our surrounding community. So a mission-driven church in, in everything it does 
it's trying to actively reach lost people with the gospel. And we bend all of our all of our ministries, all of our Bible studies, all of our everything towards that purpose. Mm, and this is something that was a transition for Mountain Zion Baptist, and it's something you built up to, and about, what, almost a year and a half ago now, you launched it? And uh, quickly summarize, because I know we talked back in September, but quickly summarize what has been the fruit of this shift on the part of your church. Yeah, uh, the fruit has been, honestly, mo- more than I can more that I can count, but uh, the, the church has always been a loving church. It's always been a church full of wonderful people, but for the first 150 years of its existence, the church reached practically nobody. Uh, the church was was honestly kind of like the, the best kept secret in town. No one knew about it because it, it never occurred to the church to try to reach the people literally across the street who had no family connection. And so as a result, the church was just dwindling and dwindling and dwindling because one, people die when they get to a certain age. And two, culturally, there's not that pressure to be in church or else be branded as a bad person anymore. And as a result, when people's kids grew up, when their grandkids grew up, when their great grandkids grew up, they didn't come back to the church uh, once they got out of high school, once they got out of college, once they had kids of their own. So the church was in free fall. It was shrinking. It was dying. It was shriveling. Once we started to make the shift out of family chapel mode and into missional mission driven mode, the, the, the most immediate fruit was that we, we saw the church actually start to grow and we saw it start to grow with people who weren't related to those few extended families that had kind of founded and and supported the church through all the years. It it started to grow numerically, even though that really wasn't the goal, but we're today uh, two, two and a half times the size that we were just a, a couple of years ago. But the the big thing really in that is that we're we're more than twice the size that we used to be, but it's it's not really a numbers thing because the people who are pouring into the church are are actively seeking to be discipled and trained and then turned around and mobilized. Mm-hmm. Like the, the newer people that we've we've brought on within the last couple of years are in, in many cases, the the most passionate and active uh, driven towards turning around and reaching the surrounding community. Again, we're talking with Ryan Ellington, pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And okay, I got to ask, as I did a little while or a couple of months ago, but I'm sure there have been growing pains. Absolutely. There's, uh, you know, more people equals more problems. There's just, there's no way around it. Um, but those are, those are good problems. Uh, there is absolutely been more drama. There's absolutely been, uh, more, uh, tension, all of those things, but it's a good drama. It's a good tension. It's good difficulty. The reason being, um, most of the drama is coming from the fact that we we now have uh, a relatively large contingent of people who weren't raised in the church, weren't raised in the faith, weren't raised in healthy households, weren't raised in uh, stable environments. And so, so people are naturally 
unstable and immature because they're they're infants in the faith and and that instability that immaturity and the drama and the tension and the difficulty that comes with it that is part of the work of the ministry and if we don't have any of that it's probably a sign that there is no life in our church if that makes any sense oh yeah i mean you see that in the new testament you look you look at the book of acts or even just the pauline epistles because he's addressing a lot of issues that have arisen but yeah, with the growth, there tends to be issues. Yeah, sometimes conflicts, but it's also opportunity. Absolutely. Okay. Well, as we continue our conversation around this, okay, here we are. We've hit the Christmas season. And how do you see this playing out in the Christmas season? I mean, have you actually have you made adjustments to the way you do, you know, your Christmas services or anything like that? It has this part of the calendar changed yet for you what's actually really interesting what's what's strange is that i i think we've gotten a little bit more conventional about christmas as our church has gotten less conventional um part of that i I think is because there's been so much whiplash there's been so much change there's been so many shifts uh when i first got to the church i uh refuse is the wrong word but when i first got to the church our christmas sermon and our Easter sermon were literally just whatever the next sermon in our series was going to be. And so when Easter ran around the the first year that I was at the church, we had been preaching through the book of first John and the sermon on Easter was literally just the next text of first John. When Christmas ran around, it was, uh, we'd been preaching through, I think Galatians and the, the sermon on Christmas was literally just the sermon out of Galatians. Uh, my reasoning at that point, was that uh, most churches get a whole bunch of people on Christmas and Easter that they never get again uh, or that they only ever get on Christmas and Easter. I thought if if you only come on Christmas and Easter and you hear basically the same sermon every single year, you're not really being fed well. And so I would, I would always insist on just continuing in our expository series through, but we have actually changed over the past uh, couple of years where I, I now, I do Christmas services. I do Easter services. Uh, the reason being that I, I think that was the wrong solution to the right problem. With all that said, this is an area that we haven't quite figured out how to effectively use in, in a missional way. Uh, this is one of those things that we haven't fully sought through yet. We do things at Christmas time that I think you could you could reasonably argue are outreach oriented, Christmas driven. We help families in the area with Christmas. We uh, we have Christmas singings and invite everybody to it. Other things like that, uh, just kind of as on ramps into the community of the church. But in, in all honesty and sincerity, this is something that we have not found a way to fully exploit for kingdom purposes as of yet. All right. Again, we're talking with Ryan Ellington, pastor of uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. As we continue, I want us to think about a question. You may be saying, okay, our, our, our church, we're we're not really missional. We're, we're the family chapel, but we do outreaches at, at Christmas or at other times of year. Does outreach equal really being on mission for reaching the world for Christ? We'll continue that conversation here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Thanks for listening. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? 
What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving uh, around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. So again, here we are in the Christmas season. Hopefully you've been doing things to help those in need or, you know, just reaching out to the community through various programs at your church or maybe even as a family, doing something different, going caroling. These are good things. Are you doing them for a bigger purpose? Hey, I'm Paul, again, filling in for Carmen, continuing my conversation with Pastor Ryan Ellington of uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina, as we've been talking, you know, moving his church from just kind of a family chapel, just kind of an inward-focused church to being more outward-focused, more aligning themselves with the mission of God, which, okay, first off, Ryan, it's not just a church's responsibility to be that focused. That, that goes to families and individuals, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. And with that, as you've been moving your church in this more mission-focused direction, um, the question about outreach, does outreach equal living on mission for Christ? I think that you could say that outreach is a function of mission, uh, a missional person or a missional family or a missional church will inevitably do outreach, but outreach in itself doesn't necessarily make you missional. Having a a trunk or treat at Halloween isn't necessarily a missional thing unless you do it in missional ways. Uh, Having a a Christmas singing at Christmas time isn't necessarily a missional thing unless you find a a, a way to to do it missionally and so on and so forth. We, we, We have to do our outreach with the mission of God in view. And I think that will change in some ways the way that we do it. Okay. Speaking, getting back to Christmas for you, um, you said you're moving your church sermon, our services and, search, uh, and such to be more Christmas message oriented. Have you planned out your Christmas message yet? I haven't planned out my Christmas message yet. As of yet, I uh, I used to plan sermons out uh, sometimes two three months in advance. That's one of the advantages of preaching through whole books is is that it makes it a little easier to do that. But I've uh, in, in the past year or so, I've kind of shifted to where I, I really do the bulk of my sermon prep on the Monday and the Thursday of the week I'm preaching it. I don't know why, but it seems like it it ends up actually being fresher on my mind and a little bit more vivid uh, when I do it that way. So I haven't quite gotten to planning the Christmas sermon yet, but it will be specifically Christmas oriented. I'm I'm not going to uh, kind of rigidly refuse to do a Christmas service this time. <laughs> well, then let me ask you one more question, because if you're looking at a message, what do you think as you're as you're looking at your community? You're right there in the heart of Lewisburg, North Carolina, and in that area. What do you think the message need is 
at the Christmas season for them right now, for your community, not just your congregation, but the broader community as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sense that I have, uh, at least right now, is that that for this year, whatever the the specifics of the sermon itself ends up being, uh, I, I think the thing that needs to be confronted at Christmas here in our community this year is, uh, I, I guess you could say that the spirit of uh, nominalism or the the spirit of cultural. Christianity that, that kind of goes hand in hand with the family chapel model that most of the churches here in our area uh, were founded as a, a family chapel is usually a bastion of cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity, where you just kind of see Jesus as part of the uh, the pantheon of our culture, you know, a mascot kind of like Uncle Sam or, or George Washington chopping down a tree, things like that. Um, the, the sense that I get is that if we end up having a number of people from the community coming to our church on Christmas because it's Christmas, I, I feel like a message that is, is desperately needed here, specifically in our area that's infested with, with cultural and nominal Christianity, is that this Christmas, it's, it's not just a... It's not just a cultural milestone, the story of baby Jesus in the manger, all of that. It's it's not just kind of a, a nice story that we tell our kids that we commemorate once a year and so on and so forth, that this really is the, the defining historical moment in history. This is legitimately the moment that changed everything, that, that Christmas affects our lives in ways we can't even imagine, because this is the moment where God himself broke into to our universe to begin the process of redeeming us and restoring the world. And that, that makes a, a fundamental demand on our life. Like this baby that we see in the manger, we now, we need to follow him. This baby in the manger, we need not only to kind of passively worship him by putting up Jesus is the reason for the season signs on our front lawns and, and so on and so forth. We, we need to actively follow him as our teacher and our rabbi and our discipler. Uh, that's the the sense that I keep getting as I as I think through and pray through what I'm going to preach about on Christmas Sunday. And you know that just kind of breathes into the whole. Okay, if he is who he says he is, what an opportunity he has called us to be part of. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Ryan, thanks again, and uh, again, blessings on your church, blessings on your family, and uh, hope you do have a blessed Christmas season down in North Carolina this year. You too, Paul. All right. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul, and uh, thanks for listening. Here it is, 10 days away from Christmas Day. How are you doing? Got everything set up? 10 days till Christmas comes. But it's also the last day of Hanukkah. And for our Jewish friends with the weight of the war in the Holy Land, as well as increased anti-Semitism around the world, many Jews see extra meaning in this year's celebration. Now, regarding anti-Semitism, don't know if you've heard about this, European officials said yesterday they had detained four men, three in Germany, one in the Netherlands, on suspicion of plotting terror attacks against Jewish sites across Europe. The suspects are believed to be members of Hamas, although authorities say there's no direct link to the Israeli-Hamas war, as their investigation actually started before the October 7th attack. 
No more lives torn apart. That wars would never start. That time would heal the heart. What's on your grown-up Christmas list this year? Did you know God has some gifts for you that he wants to unpack? We're going to talk about that shortly with Daniel DeWitt from the Theolate blog. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Again, good Friday morning. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen. She'll be back Monday. Now, uh, yesterday during the show, I mentioned something called the Eternal Jukebox. It's a it's a web app that allows you to take one of your favorite songs. If you don't feel it's long enough, you can have it create this ever-going, never-ending loop, always refreshing loop of that song. Well, with friends like Daniel DeWitt, I don't need it because <laughs> he has a new series of posts on his Theolate blog. And what's the title? Making Your Way in the World Today. Thanks a lot, Dan. Now I can't get that out of my head. It takes everything you got, Paul. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> uh, Sometimes anyway. you just got to get away. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yes. We can we, stop it. Just stop it. Okay. <laughs> Anyway. We're going to have so much fun with Carmen gone. I hope that she's somewhere listening, really nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. So, as we like to say to each other, what's crack-a-lacking? What's crack-a-lacking? Well, what is crack-a-lacking for you these days? I am tired. I've been, I was working oh, on yeah. a project and a bit behind, so I've, I've, I've got less than three hours of sleep in me. Ooh. And there's no telling what's going to come out. Let's do this thing. Have you had any coffee yet, Mr. Theolata? I brewed my first pot at 3 a.m. this oh morning. My. So oh, my. I've had a lot of coffee. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but well. I'm going to crash and burn later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's buckle up. And here we go because it's actually a series of conversations, a series of articles you have at theolatte.com yeah. called Making Your Way in the World Today. No, this isn't about a TV show um, from NBC uh, called Cheers. This is about something deeper. Tell us about it. Well, I, 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 the last time I was on the program, we talked about tear-stained joy. You yeah, know what it looks like right. to, you know, to hold on to Jesus and to be real about the struggles we have. And so, I've, in my writing, I've tried to um, quit impressing this like fake critic, this critic who's not real. So that's why I call them fakes. And sometimes I write for that whoever that person isn't. And um, and then there are real people I write for like academic colleagues, and I, I could write for them in a way that I'm trying to sound smart and um, seem sophisticated. And I decided, you know, every, we often say that on social media, we put forward a a carefully curated version of our lives that is a false, gives a false impression to others. And so people are always saying that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just try and be a bit more authentic. And mm-hmm. the, the the challenge with that is you kind of feel like you're going in the wrong direction because it's like, it's vulner, vulnerable. And so my last post, I tried to touch on that. Like we're all dealing with something, mm-hmm. right? And so I thought for this time, I wanted to write a series that w- would still be in that kind of vulnerable lane, but also be a little more looking towards the positive things that we really cling to. And even more importantly than that, we don't just cling to them. They really cling to us. At the end of the day, it's not that we're holding them. They're holding us. And I was drawn to the what are referred to as the theological virtues. Um, 
where mm-hmm. Paul says talks about faith, hope, and love. And so this series is a reflection on those three on those three virtues. Okay, and I love how you started off, and it's a, even though you're talking about the three virtues, this is a four part series of articles. They're they, they really are quick to read and. I don't know. I, I won't say it's Advent devotional stuff, but it could be used that way uh, if you need something a little extra each day, uh, you know, maybe the four days leading up to Christmas or something. But you start off with a quote that really got me thinking uh, from a guy named Amos Lee. Nothing is more powerful than beauty in a wicked place. Yes. Expound on Isn't that a great line? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love it when you find um, – just deep truth. I, and I don't know, I really like Amos Lee's music. I know nothing about him personally or his faith. But you find these lines that are are profoundly true and powerful. And um I I would want to nuance it because I think that you know the world's filled with with horror and glory. Mm-hmm. But on the same hand, I think he's on to something. Yeah. That when there's something beautiful in a wicked world. It speaks powerfully to everybody, regardless of what your worldview is. And I think that faith, hope, and love are the beauty in the world. And we could go way back to Greek philosophy and talk about how they wanted to find the good, the true, and the beautiful. I mean, these have been perennial issues. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, we just can't get away. We can't avert our eyes, right, from, um, what, what is truly beautiful. And so when Paul talks about faith, hope, and love, I think that these are the ways we make it in the world today. And we can't make it in a way that we're, you only have to air, air our, our dirty laundry for everyone to see, but we actually have to f- confront ourselves and we have to let these virtues confront us. And so they're virtues, but they're also gifts and yeah. they're gifts that are, are intended to be um, swallowed whole and to permeate our entire being so that faith and hope and love become a part of who we are. And I think the more we reflect on them, I, I have a line from G.K. Chesterton, a funny, a silly little poem yeah, he wrote, please. Um, where he he said something to the effect that, you know, I think it was Mrs. McPhee, um, the more that she ate, the more that she became. Whatever she <laughs> ate became more of her, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's Christmas time, so we don't want to think about that reality because calories don't count. At Christmas, right? Um, oh, if only that were true, but continue. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, but I think these virtues are like that. The more we reflect on them, the more we become, and the more we're able to have really bad days and really good days, but the more that we're able to navigate this world. And so I think these three virtues are helpful to think about at Christmas time because faith, hope, and love are really possible because of the incarnation, what C.S. Lewis referred to as the grand miracle. Mm-hmm. And this is the big miracle that um, turns turns time on its head. Um, I, I, I like to refer to it as the Apostle Paul said, in the fullness of time, um, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, to rescue those who are born under the curse of the law, um, that it's the cadence of providence. In God's good time, he sent faith, hope, and love um, in a baby. And so I think Christmas for me, 1 Corinthians 13, um, has never been a Christmas passage for me until this year. Oh, and yeah. it's love love incarnate. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about this. Again, we're, we're talking with Daniel DeWitt, who is, uh, oh, you got a lot of hats. I mean, especially senior fellow at Southwest Baptist uh, Semina- uh, University, that is, and you're a blogger at Theolatte, an apologist. And I want you to help us uh, as we look at this, these topics and these gifts of faith, hope, and love. Help us start ingesting them, because that's kind of what you were talking yeah. about with the, with the Chesterton quote there. Help us start ingesting them. So let's look at them individually. The first gift, faith. And help us help us understand what faith really is. Yeah, I think that faith, the best defin- the definition I like the most comes from the late pastor and author R.C. Sproul, who described faith as well-reasoned trust. And I love that because it shows that um, – Faith is not disconnected from from our rationality, um, that it's well-reasoned. You trust people that you have good reason to trust, but your trust actually goes beyond your, your rational arguments. And so faith is having good reasons to trust God. I mean, there, there are people, for example, we don't trust, and we have good reasons for that too. Um, I would argue that we have good reasons to trust God. That doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of unknown and a whole lot of doubts and discouragements. But I believe there's good reason to trust him, but trust is that step that goes beyond our reasons. And so I love that. Um, So I think the gift of faith allows us to believe God even when we don't understand. And it also allows us to trust others. And so many things go back to what Jesus described as the two great commands, to love God and to love others. Mm -hmm. And I think faith is a gift we've been given to live that out in the world, to trust God when it hurts, when it doesn't make sense, to trust others. Of course, we have to have boundaries with people. There are people who've hurt us that we're not going to just blindly let them continue to hurt us. But there are people that we have good reasons to trust. And if we're not careful, though, we'll isolate into ourselves. And I always have to pull in a Lewis quote. So I love this Go Lewis <laughs> quote. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And it's really a description of what it looks like if we pull back from faith in God and faith in others. Lewis writes, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Mm. To love is to be vulnerable. Yeah. And faith is the gift God's given us for us to, in that vulnerability, trust him, even though we'll have hard times, and to trust others, even though people will hurt us and we'll hurt them. Faith mm-hmm. is a gift to help us move in the world today. Yeah. yeah, I like the phrase you use about faith giving us roots. <clears throat> but then we're going to switch over here in a few moments talking about hope and how it gives us wings. And you're also going to tell us about Bob. Because Bob yeah. hates hope. So what, what's this about? <laughs> what about Bob? Well, we'll talk about that in just a few moments. I'm Paul. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings Without Carmen on Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at myfaithradio.com. 
Okay, what about Bob? Well, we know this about Bob. Bob hates hope. <laughs> I'm Paul. This is Mornings Without Carmen on Faith Radio, and Daniel DeWitt from the Theolatte blog joining us as we're going through a series of articles, really easy reads, on his website, theolatte.com, uh, called Making Your Way in the World Today. And we're looking at the gifts God has given us that we really need to unpack. They, they're like treats we need to ingest. Yeah, we love ingesting all the uh, all the <laughs> stuff at Christmas, uh, including the eggnog. I've already, uh, yeah, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I like eggnog. Yes, yes. Okay, let's talk about Bob. What about Bob? What, who's, who's Bob? So Bob is the name I've given to my inner critic, or you might say inner enemy or inner, inner voice. Um, Bob is the enemy of hope in my life. And I talk about in this article, hope and Bob, I personify them, um, but they're kind of competing voices. And so um, you could call it in your life insecurity or shame or past trauma. I just call it Bob. And Bob really hates hope. And so what Bob likes to tell me to do is to is to run inside myself. In fact, you had a, there was a commercial earlier for a ministry that was talking about parents, make sure you tell your kids not always to to turn inward, mm-hmm. um, but to look outward for people to help them and to God. For me, Bob's like, man, where you're going to be safe is deep inside yourself. Run inside. And Bob tries to keep me away from everybody, especially hope. And he offers me the the dull comfort of low expectations. Um, if I could just get inside, I don't have to expect too much. I don't have to think too much. And Bob tries to keep me from hope. Um, and he tells me that hope is going to disappoint me. And, you know, I think that there is that Bob offers me an anesthetic, um, which is an indifference to the world. And if I listen to Bob, I will hide inside myself. So I need people in my life to ask me, um, as I mentioned to you, Paul, what about Bob? Are you listening to Bob? Are you listening to the lies that he tells you? Um, I, I quote here a poem by Emily Dickinson, who just her her birthday, she's been deceased for a long time, of course, um, but her birthday was just last week. But Emily Dickinson has a poem where she talks about hope is like a, a, a bird that's perched in her soul. Um, and it's a beautiful um, poem. And it's the, the bird's song is the sweetest when the storms of life are the fiercest. And I love that idea. But she ends the poem by saying that um, hope has never asked for anything from mm. her, not even a crumb. That's not true. And I, I no, I think it's I think it's poetic and beautiful. But yeah, it's for me, hope actually call, calls on me to wholly immerse myself like a sweet baptism into hope's waters mm-hmm. and to completely step out of myself and to fully believe that God has a better story, that God has a better message, that God has a better picture of who I of, <clears throat> of who I am. Yeah. And so for me, hope, um, the enemy of hope is Bob. And I don't know if anybody listening can relate to that. Um, but I would just tell you, turn from Bob to hope today as much as you're able and find people who can help you fight the Bob in your life. And if your name is Bob, I'm sorry, I didn't. I mean, no, no yeah. offense at all. And if your name is Bob Hope, that's that's weird. But <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's interesting. You point out that Bob also demands stuff from us. But like the Lewis quote you had earlier, it demands mm. our soul. 
it it it, yeah. it 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 impoverishes us to listen to the bobs and to to just kind of hunker in. Okay, we don't have a lot of time, so let's jump to love as quickly as possible. Okay. And you, yeah. you even have a quote from Bob Marley, not Jacob Marley, but <laughs> Bob Marley. Overcome the devils with a thing called love. Yep. Go for it. Yeah, he's he's not wrong, right? Like I think that love is what what overcomes evil. Um that love is the force in the world that turns that God through through God's love turns beauty, um, brings beauty out of ashes. And so I don't know exactly what Bob Marley was referring to, or I don't know what um, devils you might be battling today. But I think the way we live and move and operate in the world is to allow the love of God to fill our hearts, um, to to overflow in us, so that we love others with the love of God. And that sounds really easy, and it, it, in some ways, it really is. Um, but in other ways, our selfishness and our our inner Bob always gets in the way. And I share a story. I, I had a dear friend whose wife passed away um, not long ago, and just a couple of weeks ago, actually, April and I drove to um, southern Indiana to go to the funeral. And while we were there, I was really struck by—it's um, an area where I used to I used to live just on the other side of the river in Kentucky, had a lot of people that I used to know and work with who went out of their way to come over and say really— kind things to me. And I was just blown away by that. Um, in particular, some former colleagues of a college where I used to be serve as dean. Mm-hmm. And on our three-hour three, three hour drive home, I, I was just going on and on about that because I mean, it really, I mean, just blessed me to, you know, some of them share like very particular, specific things about our friendship and my leadership. Mm-hmm. And my April looked over at me at one point and she asked me this really tender but really loaded question. And it was something like, um, why can't you let it sink in that people love you and that you have gifts and talents that have been used to bless others? Mm-hmm. And there was just some moments of silence, to be honest, Paul, where, because that's the kind of question that it's not really about just a moment. It's it's yeah. about, it's about a lifetime. And so I've had to reflect on that. that I do. And I think probably a lot of people do have a hard time really letting love sink in. And in this post, what I try to do is, again, just be a bit authentic and real, but to say we've got to, in some way, find a way to really let the love of others and the love of God um, fill our hearts. And so recently, someone, it was actually my my wife, she um, was given several compliments about her leadership in our church. She leads our women's ministry. And I told her, I said, just Stop for a second and allow that to sink in. Mm, yeah. Like just sit in it. And so my, my sit in it might be a weird way to say it. But no, um, no, it's not. I mean, <laughs> it just receive it. I mean, just receive yes. it. So, yeah. uh, you know, Daniel, one of the things that really jumped out at me as you were talking, it's like, okay, you, you get a bunch of gifts at Christmas and there's eyes. You need that gift of the batteries to make the other mm-hmm. things work. And it was kind of like this here because as you were talking about uh, faith you brought in the issue of love. Uh, you were talking about hope. You brought in the issue of love. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it as you 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 say in there, love without uh, without love, faith is dead. Hope without love, hope is false. As we're winding mm-hmm. down, I mean, we're, we really don't have a lot of time. I wish we had time to really expand <laughs> upon that. But again, thank you for these articles. Again, for those who want to check it out. 
Go to theolatte.com and look. Go to the blog and look for Making Our Way in the World Today, parts one through four. I, I think they actually would be great Advent devotional. So again, mm-hmm. Daniel, thanks again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much, Paul. Merry Christmas. And to you too. Merry, Merry Christmas. Well, if you're looking for hope this Christmas, and it seems in short supply, again, we invite you to text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Every few days, we'll text you some encouragement, and we'll be praying for you, too. And hopefully the light will shine bright, the light of hope during this Christmas season, and the love and the faith as well. It's a, It really is a package deal. Well, I'm Paul, hour number two of this Friday morning, Mornings with Carmen on the way. Adam Holtz coming up as we look at some entertainment headlines as well. Thanks again for listening to Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.